Chapter Nine of Doom Castle. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Carolyn. Doom Castle by Neil Munro. Chapter Nine. Trapped. It was only at the dawn, or the gloaming, or in night itself, and above all in the night that the castle of doom had its tragic aspect in the sun of midday as count victor convinced himself on the morrow of a night with no alarms it could be almost cheerful and from the garden there was sometimes something to be seen with interest of humankind upon the highway on the shore a solitary land but in the happy hours people were passing to and fro between the entrances of the ducal seat and the north now and then bands of vagrants from the heights of glencrow and the high rest where wade's road bent among the clouds would pass with little or no appeal to the hospitality of doom whose poverty they knew now and then rustics in red hoods their feet bare upon the gravel made for the town market sometimes singing as they went till their womanly voices even in airs unfamiliar and a language strange and guttural gave to count victor an echo of old mirth in another and a warmer land men passed on rough short ponies once a chariot with a great calash roof swung on the rutless road once a company of red-coat soldiery shot like a gleam of glory across the afternoon moving to the melody of a fife and drum for the latter mungo had a sour explanation they were come, it seemed, to attend a trial of murder. A clansman of the Duke's and a far-out cousin, in the Highland manner of speaking, had been shot dead in the country of Epin. The suspected assassin, a steward, of course, was on trial. The blood of families and factions was hot over the business, and the government was sending its soldiery to convoy James Stewart of the Glen, after his conviction, back to the place of execution but mon dieu he is yet to try is he not cried count victor oh ay mungo acquiesced but that doesna matter the poor creature is as good as scragged the tows aboot his thrapple and kittlin him already i'll warrant for his name's stewart and in this place i would sooner be called beelzeboop i'd have a better chance of my life if i found myself in trouble with the campbell jury to try me Montaillon watched this little cavalcade of military march along the road, with longing in his heart for the brave and busy outside world they represented. He watched them wistfully till they disappeared round the horn of land he had stood on yesterday, and their fife and drum had altogether died upon the air of the afternoon. And turning, he found the Baron of Doom silent at his elbow, looking under his hat-brim at the road more trouble for the fesseceke baron said he indicating the point whereto the troops had gone the unluckiest blazon on a coat replied the castellan of doom trouble seems to be part of every one who wears it it's in a very unwholesome quarter when it comes into the boar's den boar's den repeated montaillon interrogatively the head of the pig is his grace's connaissance 
Clan Dermaid must have got it first by raiding in some Appen style, as Petullo my doer down by says. He is like most men of his trade, Petullo. He is ready to make his treasonable joke even against the people who pay him wages, and I know he gets the wages of the Duke as well as my fees. I'm going down to transact some of the weary old business with him just now, and I'll hint at your coming. A Bordeaux wine merchant, it will seem more like the thing than the fish dealer. And I know a good deal more about wine than about fish, laughed Count Victor, so it will be safer. I think you would be best to have been coming to the town when the Macfarlands attacked you, killed your horse, and chased you into my place. That's the most plausible story we can tell, and it has the virtue of being true in every particular, without betraying that Bethune or friendship for myself was in any part of it. I can leave it all to your astuteness, said Montaillon. The baron was absent, as he had suggested was possible, all day. The afternoon was spent by Count Victor in a dull enough fashion, for even Mungo seemed morose in his master's absence, perhaps overweighted by the mysteries now left to his charge, disinclined to talk of anything except the vast wars in which his ancestors had shone with blinding splendour, and of the world beyond the confines of doom. But even his store of reminiscence became exhausted, and Count Victor was left to his own resources. Back again to his seat on the rock he went, and again to the survey of the mainland that seemed so strangely different a climb from this where nothing dwelt but secrecy and decay. In the afternoon the traffic of the highway had ceased, for the berg now held all of that white neighbourhood that had leisure or any excuse of business to transact in the place where a great event was happening. The few that moved in the sun of the day were, with but one exception, bound for the straits. The exception naturally created some wonder of the part of Count Victor. For it was a man in the dress, to judge at a distance, of a gentleman, and his action was singular. He was riding a jet-black horse of larger statute than any of the rustics and farmers who had passed earlier in the day bestrode, and he stood for a time half hidden among trees opposite the place where Count Victor reclined on a patch of grass among wind-bushes. Obviously he did not see Montaillon, to judge from the calmness of his scrutiny, and assuredly it was not to the Frenchman that, after a little, he waved a hand. Count Victor turned suddenly, and saw a responsive hand withdrawn from the window that had so far monopolized all his interest in Doom's exterior. Annapla had decidedly an industrious wooer, more constant than the sun itself, for he seemed to shine in her heavens night and day. There was, in a sense, but little in the incident which was open to a score of innocent or prosaic explanations, and the cavalier was spurring back a few minutes later to the south, but it confirmed Count Victor's determination to have done with doom at the earliest, and off to where the happenings of the day were more lucid. At supper-time the baron had not returned. Mungo came up to discover Count Victor dozing over a stupid English book, and wakened him to tell him so, and that supper was on the table. He toyed with the food, having no appetite, turned to his book again, and fell asleep in his chair. Mungo again came in and removed the dishes silently, and looked curiously at him. So much the foreigner in that place, so perjink in his attire, so incongruous in his lace with this solitary keep of the mountains. 
it was a strange face the servant turned upon him there at the door as he retired to his kitchen quarters and he was not gone long when he came back with a woman who walked tiptoe into the doorway that's the poor creature said he seeking for what he never find like the man with the lantern playing kihoi with honesty she looked with interest at the stranger said no word but disappeared the peats sunk upon the hearth crumbling in hearts of fire on the outer edges of the ashes grew grey the candles of a coarse mould stuck in a rude sconce upon the wall above the mantel-shelf gutted to their end set aslant by wafts of errant wind that came in through the half-open door and crevices of the window it grew cold and montaillon shook himself into wakefulness he sat up in his chair and looked about him with some sense of apprehension with the undescribable instinct of a man who feels himself observed by eyes unseen who has slept through an imminently dangerous moment he heard a voice outside monsieur le baron he concluded late but still in time to say good-night to the guest he rather cavalierly treats and he rose and went downstairs to meet his host the great door was ajar he went into the open air the garden was utterly dark for clouds obscured the stars and the air was laden with the saline odour of the rack below high-water mark what he had expected was to see mungo and his master but behind the castle where they should have been there was no one and the voices he heard had come from the side next the shore he listened a little and took alarm for it was not one voice but the voices of several people he heard and in the muffled whispers of men upon some dishonest adventure at once he recalled the macfarlanes and the surmise of baron doom that in two nights they might be crying their slogan round the walls that harboured their enemy he ran hastily back to the house quickly resumed the sword that had proved little use to him before took up the more business-like pistol that had spoiled the features of the robber with a bladder-like head and rushed downstairs again qui est là he demanded as he passed round the end of the house and saw dimly on the rock a group of men who had crossed upon the ebb his appearance was apparently unexpected for he seemed to cause surprise and a momentary confusion then a voice cried losloy and the company made a rush to bear him down he withdrew hastily behind the wall of the garden where he had them at advantage as he faced around the assailants by common consent left one man to do his business he was a large well-built man so far as might be judged in the gloom of the night and he was attired in highland clothes the first of his acts was to throw off a plate that muffled his shoulders then he snapped a futile pistol and fell back upon his sword with which he laid out lustily in the dark it was impossible to make pretty fighting of the encounter the frenchman saw the odds too much against him and realized the weakness of his flank he lunged hurriedly through a poor guard of his opponents and pierced the fleshiness of the sword-arm the man growled an oath and count victor retreated mungo with a blanched face was trembling in the entrance and a woman was shrieking upstairs 
the hall lit by a flambeau that mungo held in one hand while the other held a huge horse pistol looked like the entrance to a dungeon something altogether sinister and ugly to the foreigner who had the uneasy notion that he fought for his life in a prison and the shrieks aloft rang wildly through the night like something in a story he had once read with a mad woman incarcerated and only to manifest herself when danger and mystery threatened in ye come in ye come cried the servant trembling excessively till the flambeau shook in his hand and his teeth rattled together in ye come and i'll bar the door it was time indeed to be in for the enemy leaped at the oak as count victor threw it back upon its hinges rather dubious of the bars that were to withstand the weight without the sight of them reassured however they were no light bars mungo drew forth from their channels in the masonry but huge black iron-bound blocks a foot thick that ran in no staples but could themselves secure the ponderous portals against anything less than an assault with a cannon it was obvious that the gentry outside knew the nature of its obstruction for finding the bars out they made no attempt to force the door within the count and servant looked at each other's faces the latter with astonishment and fear the former with dumb questioning and his ear to the stair whence came the women's alarms the baron told us there would be trouble stammered the retainer fumbling with the pistol so awkwardly that he endangered the body of its fellow in distress black andy was never kent to forget an injury and i i feared that the low tides would bring him and his gang about the castle good god you hear them it's a gay vacancy thing this he cried in terror as the shout los loy arose again outside and the sound of voices was all about the castle the woman within heard it too for her cries became more hysterical than ever damn ye you skirlin old bitch said the retainer turning in exasperation can ye no steek your jaw and let them day the holing outside but it was in a tone of more respect he shouted up the stairs some words of assurance yet there was no abatement of the cries and montaillon less to do him justice to serve his curiosity as to annapla than from a natural instinct to help a distressed woman put a foot on the stair to mount na na you mona leave me here cried mungo plucking at his sleeve there was something besides fear in the appeal there was alarm of another sort that made montaillon pause and look the servitor in the eyes he found confusion there as well as alarm at the furore outside and the imminent danger of the castle i wish to god he was here himself said mungo helplessly but still he did not relinquish his hold of count victor's sleeve that need not prevent us comforting the lady said count victor releasing himself from the grasp let her alone let her alone cried the servant distractedly following the frenchman upstairs count victor paid no heed he was now determined to unveil a mystery that for all he knew might menace himself in this household of strange midnight happenings the cries of the woman came from the corridor he had guessed her chamber to occupy and to this he hastened but he had scarcely reached the corridor when the flambeau mungo held was suddenly blown out and this effectively checked his progress he turned for an explanation damn that draught 
said Mungo testily. "'It's blown oot my licht.' "'We'll have to do without it, then,' said the Count. "'But you must show me the way to this shrieking woman.' "'All right,' said Mungo. "'Mind your feet.' He passed before the Count and cautiously led him up the passage where the woman's cries, a little less vehement, were still to be heard. "'There ye are, and muckle good may do ye,' he said, stopping at a door and pushing it open. Count Victor stepped into darkness, thrust lightly as he went by the servant's hand, and the door closed with a click behind him. "'He was a prisoner!' He had the humour to laugh softly at the conventionality of the deception, as he vainly felt in an empty room for a non-existing door-handle, and realised that Mungo had had his own way after all. The servant's steps declined along the corridor, and down the stair, with a woman's to keep them company, and a woman's sobs, all of which convinced the Count that his acquaintance with Annapla was not desired by the residents of Doom. End of chapter 9